Hey, Fixing Fun Racing fans, it's Tom here. In this episode, Andy and I spoke to Leah Eustace, the president of Blue Canoe Philanthropy, which I've had to record a few times because I keep tripping over that sentence. Leah is a copywriting and storytelling wizard, and this episode is really all about the communication between your marketing and fundraising teams, why those two teams operate in a silo, when actually they should be working really, really closely together. She's the vice chair of, of professional development on the AFP Global Board, and also sits on the ACRFRE Credential Board. She is a master trainer, stability leader, and holds a certificate in philanthropic psychology, which is just about as awesome as it gets. Leah was in the midst of a tornado warning uh, at the recording of this episode, so there is quite a lot of feedback, um, which I've tried to edit out but couldn't quite master, so I do apologise for that. You may need to turn it down at some points. Um, It's a bit rough and ready in terms of the editing, but Leah's guidance and wisdom is really, really valuable. Do check her out on Twitter. The link is in the description. You can also find her fantastic website below as well. As always, whatever you're up to, I hope you're safe and well and happy listening. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Fixing Fundraising. I'm Andy King and as ever, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Tom Dufresne. I'm here. I'm wonderful. How are you, Andy? <laughs> We've crushed both boxes. I'm doing very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Keeping busy. And we're delighted to be joined by the tornado warning uh, riddled Leah Eustace. <laughs> Hello. Yes, I'm safe for the moment. Uh, so keep your fingers crossed, everyone. Uh, if this episode doesn't air, we don't have to address that fact, so it's fine. Um Excellent. Uh, Leo, what, uh, what is it that you want to speak to us about today? What in fundraising would you like to fix? Oh, you know, there are, there are so many things. But, you know, the, the, the one that just is top of mind these days, especially, you know, as we, we go through a pandemic and so on, is um, really, for me, the disconnect in so many organizations between marketing communications and fundraising um, and the heartache I you know I have seeing uh, how it impacts donor relationships and revenue generation um, and uh, you know it's it, it seems to me the organizations that have that disconnect are, are often the ones who are suffering the most right now um, so I am looking forward to digging that into that a bit with you with the two of you. Awesome. I think it's a really big topic, especially now, as you say, because there was definitely some fundraising teams when the pandemic started that were like waiting for the Marcom's approval before they could speak to their supporters. Well, um, exactly. But it's obviously not an issue. Okay, you go. Yeah, exactly. It's it 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 holds things up when those two departments are communicating. Um, it it holds things up. It prevents you from getting things out. Um, the whole adage, done is better than perfect, often doesn't work when you are battling a marketing and communications department because they're all about perfect before it's done. So, uh, it, yeah, it's a huge pet peeve of mine, as you can probably tell. 
Do you have any particular examples or times that it's really held up that you want to talk us through? Well, yeah, it, I mean, it happens all the time. And, uh, you know, as a consultant, um, I, I've been a consultant for the past 15 years. Um, and the 15 years prior to that, I was a frontline fundraiser. So I've seen it from both sides. And as a consultant who specializes in um, primarily copywriting, uh, so building cases for support, uh, writing direct mail, or writing web copy, um, you know, I unfortunately bump into this all the time where I will send my best work in terms of copy that's based on my 30 years of experience, on my always continuing professional development and learning, based on testing, based on science. And uh, what ends up in front of the donor looks nothing like what I intended uh, and sounds nothing like I intended. Um, and it breaks my heart because that's, it's really leaving, it's leaving money on the table when that happens. Um, so, you know, a recent example for me was uh, sending an appeal that, uh, you know, I was, I was very proud of the copy. It was an incredible story, very heartfelt um, about one particular person. And the, the fundraiser on the end or other end was delighted with it. And then it went to marketing and communications and it came back as, I don't like it. I don't like a long letter. I don't like how it's written. And, um, you know, my, my brain just about explodes when I hear that. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, I have the confidence and experience to push back a bit and say, you know, uh, it politely doesn't matter what you like. <laughs> it, what you like is irrelevant. It's, it's what uh, works with donors and what works with human beings who are wired for story. Uh, and it, it then hearing back, well, I want to know the rationale for why it has to be written this way and why it has to be, it should be a longer letter. And, and, you know, I, I just throw up my arms um, because somehow, uh, it, you know, we as fundraisers just are, um, are, we're lacking the respect and the trust that we actually do know how to do our jobs. Um, and so I, I run into this, I run into it all the time. Um, this questioning of, of the way we do things, um, the way we ask for money when, you know, and I, I, I'm big on analogies. So, you know, I, I often think about other situations in our lives where we wouldn't, we wouldn't question someone with the expertise. And a good example is, you know, uh, a heart surgeon, you're about to get open heart surgery. Um, and you don't like how their scalpel looks. You don't like the shape of the one the surgeon's about to use. Um, do you, do you say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't like it. Can you use something else? No, you trust that she's using the best tool for the job. Absolutely. Um, but somehow that doesn't happen in fundraising. And quite honestly, you guys, I'm not sure how to fix it. it it's, it's, this problem's been around forever. It's definitely a deep-rooted problem. I think you've hit the nail on the head there that it's been around for so long that actually um, there's almost a lack of respect. As you said, there's a, there's a lack of respect for like um, people that have done the job before or people that have kind of mastered the art and and the craft. If it is a if it is a kind of deep-rooted 
cultural problem in a lot of nonprofits. Do we think that the reason that this has always been the case is because there's a lack of respect for data as well? Do we think that's where it's coming from? Because often it's if an organization doesn't respect the data that they're that they're sat on or doesn't value the data that they're sat on, it means that they haven't necessarily learned the lessons of the past. Do you think that's probably a, a fair thing to say, Leah? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it. Um, I think, uh, you know, an awful lot of people out there, non-fundraisers, um, you know, really look at fundraising as people who do bake sales at the, outside the local school. Um, and they, I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted, I realize here, but, uh, you know, the, the fundraising is seen as kind of the annoying baby brother to marketing and communications and just an, some annoyance they have to deal with. Um, and I, I, you know, honestly, Tom, if even when you present them with the science and the data and the rationale, um, it doesn't necessarily make a difference because they have a certain view of fundraising, a fundamental view. It's almost like politics, right? And I won't point to a particular country, um, but you will know who I'm talking about where, you know, one side absolutely can't make a logical argument to the other side because they're not prepared to listen and it doesn't match their worldview. So it's a, it's a really hard thing to change um, an organization um, and develop a culture of philanthropy. Um, it has to really start from the top and with leadership, I find. And it it takes time um, and determination. And unfortunately, there are a lot of fundraisers who um, understandably don't have the patience to wait that out. So we see a lot of movement, movement around in the sector um, of, uh, you know, our fundraising colleagues trying to find the right fit, find a place where philanthropy is valued and where it's understood that without philanthropy, an organization can't do its work. Um, to us, it's, that seems really obvious, but I'm constantly coming across organizations. There was one, one client a number of years ago, for example, who developed, um, a major rebrand, you know, one of the big ones where they changed their name, everything, they changed everything about them. Um, and they did all these studies and there were papers developed and it took years. And uh, finally, you know, as the consultant, I was invited to a presentation of this new brand and the way of communicating and the brand story and was given, I don't know, maybe a hundred page document. And the word, the words fundraising and donor weren't mentioned once. Um, I, I, you know, I'm I'm old enough that I can be pretty frank. So I just said, excuse me, but you do realize <laughs> you're a fundraising organization, right? <laughs> uh, I could go on all day. <laughs> it's a it's a really interesting one as well because of that that divide, as you say, when you're when you're speaking to a comms team, especially when you're there as a consultant, and they ask you what your like what your backing is, there's almost that point of like, well, the backing is that you're paying me. So you obviously know that I know more than you. So I'm probably right in, in that aspect, right? Like there's a reason the organization has sought that consultancy. And when you have the science behind you and they've seen that and when they've chosen to work with you, why wouldn't they just then trust you at that point? Yeah, yeah that it's a good point, Andy. And, um, 
you know, I, I probably have it pretty good compared to a lot of fundraisers in that I am a consultant. And there's something about that voice of authority that's pretty powerful. Um, so, you know, I've been on the other side of this as well, where you bring in a consultant to say the same thing you've been saying for 10 years and somehow they listen to the consultant and not you. Um, and I, th I think over the years, all the pushback I've had anyway and the lack of understanding I've had anyway, I can't imagine how exponentially more difficult it must be for the frontline fundraiser who's working for that organization. Um, the, the lack of respect, the lack of trust, the last lack of understanding must be a hundredfold uh, compared to what I'm seeing. Definitely. And I think that is, um, that's kind of a, a topic for a whole nother episode about why, why consultants can say something that a fundraiser has been saying for years and it gets listened to, but it's just a, it's an interesting one. And I, I think you're right as well. When you, when you point to the fact that, especially with, with DM and, um, and posting donation requests, there's been so much split testing that there is science, but often even when you show that to people, because it's fundraising science, it's not quite taken as seriously as it might otherwise be. Yeah. And, and, you know, then we could get into the whole discussion about whether fundraising is a profession. Um, many people have waded into that and, uh, you know, whether we think it's a profession or not, and, you know, I certainly feel like it is, um, it has a body of knowledge, etc. Um, it's, it's the people on the outside, uh, who, you know, need to understand that it is a profession. It's not, it's not bake sales and coin boxes and charity shops only, um, that there's so much more to it. And, uh, Again, I don't know. I, I don't know how to fix that, but um, hopefully, it will change over time. I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting one because in the UK, um, our uh, governing body—I don't I don't know if that's the right term—the Institute of Fundraising has, has recently become chartered. Um, so similar to how there's a chartered institute of engineering or a chartered institute of accountancy, it, it's got a, a stamp that it is now a chartered profession and they are looking to develop a, a standard where you can become a chartered fundraiser, which may be similar to the CFRE um, certification, I'm not sure, but it's definitely an interesting way into trying to build that almost external respect for the sector. Yeah, true. And and I know in the UK that um, you know, you, you, uh, trust in the sector has certainly gone up and down. And there there have been, you've faced many crises that have led to that, um, that extra oversight and uh, talk about regulation and so on, um, whether warranted or not, it's, it, it happens. And, um, and it, here in Canada, we actually look to the UK very closely, I would say, that, um, you know, we're much more similar to the UK than the US in terms of our fundraising practices. And, and here in Canada, we do not even have um, really any particular home within the government as a charitable sector. Um, we uh, are governed by our revenue agency, if you can believe it, um, which, you know, has a particular focus. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, we've been working towards 
the government establishing a home for the charitable sector because um, just like in the UK, the, the charitable sector is a huge contributor to GDP, huge contributor to to employment um, and, uh, you know, to kind of be shuffled off to a corner of the desk at our revenue agency is, is frustrating. Um, on the other hand, you know, over-regulation is, can be difficult too. So somewhere in the middle is probably, probably the answer. And I, you know, I think certification can certainly help. Um, and, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could somehow come up with one standard certification that's, you know, consistent and trusted, um, you know, we have, we have some here in North America we use and in other parts of the world, they're different. And I know, I know the UK and Institute of Fundraising is working, working on that as well. And we'll get there. Uh, well, there'll probably be some trial and error as, as we take that journey. Yeah, I think it's 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 definitely going to be a learning curve, and I think it's it's interesting as as fundraising ages as a profession. I know that um, there's been talk about like how people became fundraisers, and like if you ask someone how they became a fundraiser, the answer is most often that they fell into it. Um, and as we professionalize roots into the sector, and people become a fundraiser because they've grown up seeing that fundraising is a profession that they can join. Hopefully that'll help too. Yeah, that's a good point, and I completely, I completely agree with that. Um, you know, being of the generation that did fall into fundraising, um, you know, having been in it for thirty years, there was certainly no uh, course I could take way back in the day. Um, and it, it's uh, exciting to see all of the different courses, the master's degrees, and popping up and. And people starting to get PhDs in the area of philanthropy, um, which is is exciting. So you're right; it's going to change. And it's definitely really exciting to see how that comes out. I mean, we first met at um, fundraising everywhere, where you were sharing um, decision science tips that you can use in DM, which shows how far it's come from that. Um, in that there are observable things that you can transfer over. So hopefully it's just that we're further behind in our journey than maybe marketing and comms are and, and we'll catch up. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Um, you know, the more we learn about and embrace, um, you know, uh, um, concepts in psychology and, uh, you know, even psychiatry and, um, and, for-profit marketing, um, you know, we, uh, we we then start to speak with more authority and we we have the backup to our point. Um, and, you know, with that, I'm sure, will kind of lead to, to people paying more attention. Um, uh, but really, at the end of the day, it's, it's money that talks, right? So if we're, if we're able mm -hmm. to raise more revenue, more sustainable revenue, um, and build more donor loyalty by using some of the science that's out there, then um, that certainly helps to build our credibility. M money talks uh, at the end of the day. Um, money talks when, when it comes to our leadership, when it comes to our governing bodies. 
I think that's a, a really good point. Um, and I guess one of the questions I have is, you've mentioned earlier that, um, that one of the things that comms teams will often pick up on is um, long letters and how we know that, that longer letters can often work better, but, but marketing or comms teams are often taught that shorter is better. Are there other things that you, uh, you can highlight that, that are common debates between fundraising and marketing and comms that, that you know the money is already talking in? Yeah. Um, well, the, the long versus short debate is a big one that comes up multiple times a week and has for years. Um, and of course, it's not, you know, a uh, long letter doesn't work for everyone. I mean, there's, of course, exceptions. Um, some some other things that I see all the time are uh, the... the uh, um, misunderstanding or misunderstood value of a good story when it comes to fundraising. So um, for those organizations where kind of marketing and communications and, and non-fundraising leadership are, are involved in what gets sent out to donors, you're much more likely to see um, communications that are full of facts and figures that are trying to educate people that are, are insistent on talking about every program and service and not leaving everyone out. It's kind of like, you know, everything yeah. but the kitchen sink kind of approach. Um, and, <laughs> and the kitchen sink uh, story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so that's an, another big one is, you know, the power of that singular heart wrenching story um, is, is just unknown or, or not understood by people who are not uh, at the fundraising front lines. Um, the other thing, and again, I, you know, I focus very much on copywriting because that's what I, I do, but um, seeing communications come out that are uh, full of jargon um, and you know, written for uh, a, a, an audience of PhDs and, and master's graduates um, rather than, um, so they're written more, more um, kind of from a, a logical point of view rather than from an emotional point of view. And um, the research has shown us continually that writing uh, at about copywriting, that's at about a grade six or seven level. Um, so, you know, that's a 13, maybe 14 year old uh, kid level um, will get the best results. And, and, you know, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with how highly educated people are. It's about, reducing the roadblocks between your communication and their heart and um by writing in kind of clear and simple language we we keep the the story and the narrative in the person's heart we don't cause it to jump up to their brain which is what happens when they need to uh, figure out what that jargon is or what's that acronym stand for or boy, this sentence is really long. I have to read it again. Those are all huge roadblocks um, that that cause you to detour to the head instead of the heart. That makes total sense. And I think there's a real uh, tendency to say things as, as cleverly as they can be said rather than as plainly as they can be said sometimes. And it is that that divide, as you say, between like whether it makes you think with your head or feel with your heart, and it's a really interesting like, litmus test to give your copy. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's almost, I, I did recently, I put together, um, after, after spending hours every month, um, kind of talking about best practices with people and here's what works and here's why it works. I, I finally ended up putting together like a checklist, of, you know, uh, is your letter longer rather than shorter? Um, are you writing at a grade six level? I, I put this all together so that I can save all the hours I put into those conversations and just send people my checklist. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes that's not good enough either. Um, but, uh, you know, that the, the experience and the testing, and it's all out there that we can learn from. Um, and uh, somehow we're still making these mistakes o- over and over again. I mean, I, I really have been doing this for a long time and, um, you know, I, I can't believe we still need to talk about the power of a story, for example. <laughs> and maybe I'm just jaded and I don't know, but it's frustrating. <laughs> if, there's a, if there's a fundraiser listening who um, is, is like really agreeing with you and, and maybe they're, they're speaking to the marketing team about, for example, the power of a story and struggling to get that across... What advice do you have for that person? Well, um, putting together kind of the logical argument is is unfortunately what often needs to be done. So, um, you know, not just saying, okay, this is what, you know, I want to send out to our donors because it works, but this is what we should be sending out to our donors because research shows that this and, you know, testing shows this. So, you know, presenting the facts and figures and being really upfront about the money that will be left on the table. Um, So conversations I often have with clients are around, um, you know, happy, uh, you know, you're the boss, the client's the boss. um, And uh, ultimately this is your decision, but you need to know that, um, I will need to revise my projection for how much revenue you're bringing in. Um, and that's often what starts to get their attention. Again, the money talks. Um, so, you know, suddenly it's very concrete. It's, yes, we can send this out. Are you okay with uh, bringing in $50,000 left, 50,000 pounds less than you had projected? And suddenly they start paying attention. Um, but, you know, and, and I'm happy to help any fundraiser who needs to be having these arguments with, marketing communications or others, um, you know, I have collected all those research studies and the testing that's been done. Um, and so you can back up, um, back up what you intend to do with, with some rationale that's really strong. In this next section, Leah, we're going to talk about your peeve and passion. So one thing that is your, ultimate bugbear unrelated to section one and one thing that you absolutely love about the sector hopefully in 60 seconds over to you all right okay you said the ultimate bugbear i just went with a bugbear (laughs) i didn't think about my ultimate but let's go with my first instinct uh which is um it drives me actually absolutely crazy that we as a sector don't spend well we spent virtually no time thinking about our audience 
Um, so the audience for our organization, the audience for um, the different programs and services we offer, but the audience around fundraising. So, you know, any particular tactic, who is the audience we're speaking to? Um, this really came home to me. I, I finished recently, I was part of the first cohort of uh, the certificate in philanthropic psychology uh, offered by the Institute um, for, I'm not going to say Institute of Fundraising, um, Institute for Sustainable Philanthropy is, is more accurate with Jen Shang and um, just speaking to how important it is to kind of build that audience persona and speak to that audience in particular. Too many organizations are trying to be all things to all people all the time. And it's doing none of us any favors. All right. So um, here comes my warm and fuzzy side. There is a compassion and caring in our sector that I have never seen anywhere else. Um, I think it's unique even maybe to fundraising professionals. Um, and it's really, really been emphasized in the past number of months how we watch out for each other. We support each other through the tough times. We share resources. Very few of us um, see other organizations as our competition, but we see um, all the possibilities around collaboration. And it warms my heart. And I know people outside our sector just are blown away when they show up at a conference or something that's made up of fundraisers and they've never been hugged so much in their lives. I mean, not during the pandemic times, but um, we love and care about each other. And where else, what other sector do you see that? Um, I certainly haven't come across one. It's question time. There's a jingle every time. That was yours. That was, that was a lovely jingle. You are welcome, Leah. Um, it's the time where we ask more questions than we asked before. Um, and we'll get started with um, if there's one resource, whether that's a blog, a website, a training course uh, in particular that you'd recommend that, that people go to to get further insight on what good fundraising copy is than Marcom's copy. For sure. Um, it's really hard to pick just one. But I, I tell you, like like so many people, I once, I once subscribed to, you know, every blog and e-news out there um, and, you know, got, got a ton of mail and newsletters and um, that sort of thing. And I, I've really honed it down in an effort to tame my inbox over time. Um, and so, you know, if I had to pick one resource, so one thing I will read every time it comes out um, and learn something new or, or have some of, you know, my instincts confirmed is um, Future Fundraising Now blog, which is written by Jeff Brooks, who's based in the States. Um, he, if, for those who don't know him, he's really one of the best nonprofit communications people out there. He, um, he's, he's smart. He gets results. And he's incredibly thoughtful um, and he's not afraid to say what he thinks. So that 
you know, when that comes out, and I, I think it may be daily, you know, sometimes he pulls some up from the archives, but um, futurefundraisingnow.com is, there is always something in there. Um, he talks often about how things like branding can get in the way of good communications, um, how people can get, people who are not fundraisers can get in the way of fundraising. Uh, it's, it's really a go-to for me. Um, and, you know, Jeff Brooks, going beyond that, has written some amazing books. Um, he speaks fairly frequently, um, but, uh, you know, he's, he's also a bit of an introvert, so uh, he's not out there all, all that much, but definitely worth looking up. And I was trying to think of a resource that, you know, might not be familiar to your audience as much, um, and Jeff being based in the States may be less familiar, but I, I highly recommend you look up his blog. Um, and follow him on Twitter. He's he's there as well. Awesome. We'll uh, we'll put a link to that in the episode description because it sounds sounds wicked. Thank you, Tom. Excellent. I'm just going to do a little click so I know when to when to cut because we're going to cut these into little chunks. The second question is, Leah, is there anyone that you see that is really smashing out the park? Any examples you know of really great in sync fundraising and marketing teams that really work together and get the great outputs? Yeah. Um, you know, overall, I think smaller organizations, small shops generally do a much better job in this area than big shops uh, because bureaucracy and brand and um, kind of messaging, corporate messaging doesn't get in the way of good fundraising. Um, so, you know, the organization I've chosen to highlight in this area is one based here in Canada. Um, Children's Health Foundation is based in London, Ontario. Uh, I'm also in Ontario and full disclosure, they they are a client of mine and, um, but, uh, you know, only around certain aspects of their work. And, and right from the get-go, I've been incredibly impressed, especially over the last three or four years, with um, everything they send out. Uh, they, they clearly, and I know this because I've been in their office, um, the team works very closely together. I believe it's a team of about 20 people. Um, the, the emails they send out to supporters are phenomenally good. I use them as examples all the time. I, I can say they're phenomenally good because I have nothing to do with them. Um, but you feel like you're getting a personal note from the CEO every single time. Um, and one of the things I think that they've done right is the CEO is actually a very seasoned fundraiser. Um, so, uh, you know, and a good friend who has vast experience. And, um, so, you know, by having someone in a leadership position, whose, whose background really is, is deep fundraising, um, I think creating that culture of philanthropy is, is easier, uh, than it might be if kind of someone's flown in from the corporate side. And again, there are exceptions, of course, there, there are all sorts of fabulous leaders, but, um, in this case, I think it's really helped the organization. Um, it's a great website. They're very story-based, extremely story-based, talking about 
um, children's health experiences. Um, and, uh, you know, I think their, their email communications outstanding. So their website is childhealth.ca. Pretty easy to remember. If you want to check it out, um, I recommend throwing yourself on that email list to see the kinds of things they're sending out. Simple, simple communications that really you open them up every time because it feels like it's an email just for you. And how rare is that these days? Awesome. Thanks, dear. They sound they sound wicked. So we'll definitely check them out. Yeah, that's great. We'll make sure we, we put some links in the description as well so other people can can have a nosy and yes. have a learn. Right. I'm sure they'd appreciate it too. <laughs> Tom, do you want to do the, the click? Clicking now. Leah, one of our favorite questions. Uh, if you were going to be followed around with a sign above your head, bearing in mind that the sign can be double-sided if needed, what would that sign say? Well, I'll tell you what it would say for sure. It would probably say, clumsy, approach with caution. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't know what it is about me, but I will be the one who will trip over nothing on the sidewalk. I... And constantly walking into doors, I burn food on the stove. I'm just incredibly clumsy, and I own it. Um, so you know, you definitely need to walk alongside me carefully because we will likely get into some kind of trouble. Nice, I love it. That one's great. Alrighty, clicking now. Last but certainly not least, Leah, what is your favourite joke? And bearing in mind we have had previous Canadian guests who have had excellent jokes, the pressure is on. Yeah, well, most and um, you know most of our Canadian jokes revolve around poking fun at our dear Newfoundlanders, and I'm not going to go there because I absolutely adore them. <laughs> um, I I am going to make a big admission here. I am the world's worst joke teller. I can never remember the jokes or I get them backwards or I say something completely offensive or I mix up two jokes and they don't make any sense at the end. Um, so I don't have an actual joke to share, but what, what makes me laugh to the point where I can no longer speak and there are tears springing down my face is a really good autocorrect. Something about those autocorrect fails just makes me howl. What does that say about me? I don't know. But um, yeah, please send me all the crazy autocorrects you've seen and you will, I will be a happy person. Nice. It, it's copy related as well. So you're on brand throughout. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say that's, def that's definitely why it's, it's because you're a consummate professional and a copywriter <laughs> and you, you, you look at it and you go, that's hilarious on so many levels. I'm sure that's probably what it is. Well, yeah, here's a good example for you is Jeff Brooks, who I was speaking about earlier, um, shared uh, we, we, a conference we go to every year, the nonprofit storytelling conference. And I was hosting, um, horror stories around the uh, the fake campfire and Jeff shared that he once sent out an appeal that instead of saying please help fill our pantries 
It said, please help fill our panties. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. See, that, that makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I can see why. <laughs> Oh, he, wow. he healed it just fine, yeah. by the way. Nobody noticed. <laughs> wow. That's right. Well, they did know people like to say anything. Yeah, I don't know, but it did just fine. Sometimes oh, that's making amazing. a mistake actually works in your favor. <laughs> yeah. True. Very true. Very human. Thanks, thanks, Leah, so much for coming on. If people want to find more of you, where should they look? Absolutely. Well, it, you can jump on my website, which is um, yourbluecanoe.ca. Um, you can send me an email, leah at yourbluecanoe.ca. Um, on Twitter, I'm. it's simple. I'm Leah Eustace, uh, no punctuation, um, fairly active. I'm on Instagram as well, both under Blue Canoe and also under Leah Eustace. So um, lots of ways to get in touch and, uh, I welcome, I welcome continuing the conversation with anyone and boy, if I can help anyone, uh, break down those silos with marketing and communications, um, let me know how I can help. Or if you've managed to do it, I'd love to know your process. (laughs) So please let me know. Awesome. And obviously Amazing. they have great autocorrect fails to send you too. That's where they... Yes, exactly. The all the autocorrect fails. Yeah, I'll take them all. <laughs> awesome. Leah, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me into your um, studio, your virtual studio here. And we got through it without a tornado. So. And we got through it without a tornado. That's what <laughs> I was going to say. We managed to get through... You did, yeah. And in fact, no one was blown away. There, so I, uh, we're in good shape. Yeah, we'll see how, what the re- how the rest of the day plays out. But uh, uh, yep, safe and secure. Excellent. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you.